0: You are listening to Illini Life Audio, messages from a community of Christian believers on the campus of University of Illinois at Urbana Champaign. For more audio and video content, visit IlliniLife.org. All right, well, uh, good morning. I hope. Uh, We've worked out all of our technical issues. I think just about everything that could break in the last couple weeks has been breaking for us. So, uh, you know, that's all right. Because before this stuff existed, people worshiped and praised the Lord. And so we will do it analog if we have to. If we don't know each other, I'm Nick. Uh, I'm the pastor here in Aligning Life. It's great to be with you. Thank you for finding our room. Uh, Ashley shared with us that uh, the ceiling is falling in the old room. And when we heard that news, I was like, is this a chicken little joke, really? Because we were just there, and the ceiling was fine, right? Like, there was nothing falling. Uh, but apparently, it's, it's for real. So uh, we're here, and we'll let you know when we're not. Uh, now is the time in our service where we get to do one of my favorite things. We get to do a Bible study together. We have the privilege of studying the Word of God and seeing what he has for us. <laughs> Maybe we'll just go without the mic. Do you want to just do that? All right, I'll try to talk loud, we'll just do that. Uh, We get to the privilege of hearing and seeing what the Lord has for us. I love this part of our week, and I love this part of our rhythms. I know many of you, you've dug into our passage uh, in your small group this week. I enjoyed the discussion we had in the Tuesday off-campus group. It was great to hear your observations, your thoughts, the ways the Lord is challenging you. But now, we get to jump into our passage. But before we do that, I I was challenged this week by a few of you, because... Uh, I, I realize I, I maybe have never shared with you why we study what we study. Why, we're, why we pick what we pick. And so I want to share a little bit of my rationale behind that. A little bit of what, we, what we've set as our goal. A number of years ago, the Lord laid it on my heart that every four years, we want to get through the overarching story of the Bible. What God has been doing from creation until Jesus returns. We want to do that in four years because that's the average span of an undergrad here in Alani Life, right? We want, the, the, we want you to understand God's whole story. We want, we want you specifically to understand how to engage with the different parts of the Bible. How to read different sections of the Old Testament and the New Testament. How they're different from one another. We want to give you those handholds to equip you for future. Now certainly, we're going to preference the Gospels because the life, teaching, and, and ministry of Jesus is the core of our faith. That is the foundation of who we are as Christians it's who we follow. But, but, understanding the calling of Abraham, understanding the forming of Israel, the period of the judges, the establishment of the kings, the message of the prophets and how they are relevant today still for us, the life of the early church, the instructions of Christian living and the epistles, and how it all ends with Jesus' triumphant return and return of the King. All of it is key. All of it is helpful for us and profitable. So we want you to have handholds in how to engage with that. It offers us hope. It helps us see how God is working in our lives, how he's worked in history, and how he's working in present day. And so you can hold me to that. If you are a freshman here today, when you graduate, come and tell me if we accomplished that goal. Come and tell me if we've hit all the major areas, if you understand the overarching story of what God has been doing in the Bible. That's our goal. That's our aim. Now, if you were here with us last Sunday, you know we've begun a series studying through the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be here most of the semester, so settle in. Start reading Mark on your own. You can get through it a number of times, I'm sure. It takes, in my audio Bible, I can listen through it in about an hour and 20 minutes. And so on on a long bike ride, I might do that several times. Uh, Each week, we're looking at a passage. And we're challenging, yeah, I ride my bike for a long time. <laughs> um, each week we're looking at a passage, a passage that's going to challenge us to live more with Jesus, like Jesus, or for Jesus. If you were with us at all last week or you've been with us at all in the, in, in the past, you know this is the core of what we are. We want to be with Jesus, like Jesus, and for Jesus. That's who we are on this campus. And so these passages, as we engage with them, they're going to shape and challenge us in our thoughts, actions, and beliefs to be more like like, with, and for Jesus. And the Gospel of Mark, as I shared last week, is a great place for us to begin this work. Because Mark focuses on the ministry of Jesus. He gives us snapshot after snapshot of Jesus' ministry, all while begging the question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? That's the core of the Gospel of Mark, what he's trying to answer. Who is Jesus is the question Mark wants his readers to wrestle with. He wants us to wrestle with. He opens the book with the statement, right? The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then he just goes on and narrates all that happened with Jesus' ministry. He doesn't tell you what he believes or what to conclude. He just shows you Jesus' ministry. He records his teachings. He records the responses of the disciples and those around and how they thought of Jesus, what they believed, or how they were challenged. And so, as we read the gospel of Mark, we're left... To answer that question for ourselves. Mark, through his stories and teachings and actions that he shares of of Jesus, he invites us to conclude that Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one of Israel that they have been waiting for, the savior of the world, the one who takes away our sins and restores us to God. And So that's why we're we're looking at the gospel of Mark as we start the school year, so we can wrestle with who is Jesus. Because it's the most important question we all have to wrestle with in our lives. Now as we turn to our passage for the morning, I want us to wrestle with a question outside of that. I want us to think of a question to frame in our passage. A question that has challenged me this week. Challenged me as I study, as I've prayed, as I've thought about this passage. And the question is this. When you are confronted with illness in your life, if you or someone is unwell, Do you think to pray? Or do you look to medicines, doctors, procedures, hospitals to make you well? Now, now there isn't a right or wrong answer to that. There's not a a spiritual answer, uh, right? it's It's a question to reveal our hearts. And for me, I was challenged because we faced a lot of illness in my extended family. We lost a grandparent this week, we may lose another. My my default is not to pray when I'm confronted with that. It's to think about the doctors they need to connect with, the medications they need to start taking, the ways that we can support them and give them better quality of life in their final days. I was convicted because my my default was not to pray. And yet, our physical bodies, they are a gift from God. He has created us. He knows us. He has the power to heal us in whatever faces us. Often I don't live in that reality. And I was challenged by our passage today because four friends lived in that reality. Four friends took their paralyzed friends to meet their paralyzed friend to meet Jesus and be healed. They believed so much that Jesus could heal their friend that they went to extraordinary lengths to get him to Jesus. They caught wind that Jesus is a healer and they did everything they could to get their friend there. I didn't say, let's go to the doctor. Let's go get some medicine for you. So you can open your, your Bible. You can navigate to, you can turn it on, open it, whatever you do, right? Turn, navigate to Mark chapter 2. We're going to read the first 12 verses. That's where we're at this morning. And in general, we will, we will put the verses up on the screen for you to follow along, but I encourage you, bring your own Bible, uh, your digital Bible, wherever you want to take notes, uh, a way that keeps, helps to keep you engaged, whatever it helps you. But we'll always have words up here on the screen for you if you don't have a Bible. Here as we begin the passage, Mark, he, he really helpfully sets up the scene for us. In the first four verses, it's all the opening scene. What's going on? Sets the stage. Here we learn that a great crowd has gathered in a house, and they're here to hear Jesus teach. And these friends, they approach with their paralyzed friend. And let's read and see how this goes. Starting in verse 1. And when he returned to Capernaum some after some days, it was reported that he was at home. Jesus, he's up in Capernaum doing ministry. Now, it's about 40 miles northeast of Nazareth, where he was from. And this is where he's been doing ministry. It's, it's on the Sea of Galilee, which is why the first disciples were fishermen. This is what they did uh, in, a, in, a, in that society, particularly that place. He's staying at a house there, and word gets out that, that he's there. Now, so far, he has, he's caught people's attention. He's cast out demons. He's healed a man with leprosy and many others. Word has gotten out that something is going on. Pay attention to this Jesus. And so Mark tells us many gathered at the house, right? Standing room only, a crowd formed. They couldn't even get in the door. It's a packed house. Only this time, Jesus isn't healing. Mark tells us he's preaching the word, he's preaching, he's teaching to the great crowd. Which, I don't, I don't know about you, might, might strike a little odd, right? So far he's been healing, and now he's teaching, and a great crowd is there to hear him on it. What's more, he's, he's not teaching in a typical religious context, you know, out at the synagogue or, or at a, you know, a, a religious gathering. He's in a house, the house he's staying at. They just invaded. <laughs> he's talking, and there's a great crowd listening. Now, the reason this crowd is listening, the reason they are eager to hear Jesus is related to the fact that he's healing. But it's more than just because he did some neat tricks to get people's attentions, right? Oh, he healed, maybe we're going to get healed too, right? That's not necessarily why they're there. Throughout the Old Testament prophets, throughout the period of Israel, as they looked to what God would do to restore Israel, The prophets foretold of the Messiah, the one that would come and restore Israel, the one that would save Israel and bring God's kingdom once again in its fullness. And he would come with signs and wonders. He would open the eyes of the blind, the ears of the deaf, the mouth of the mute, and heal the lame. One one example, the prophet Isaiah, one of the well-known prophets, he tells us all this will proceed the return of God's kingdom, the coming of the Messiah. It says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, and shall the lame, lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy, for the waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. It sounds familiar to the ministry of Jesus. Healings are happening. And so, the healings they grab the attention of the crowd because they're miraculous. But there's something deeper going on for them. These men and women of Israel, they know that great signs of healing will precede the Messiah, the promised one. And so they're wondering, is this who Isaiah spoke of? Is this the one that will restore Israel and bring God's kingdom? And so they cram into a house, standing room only, to listen in anticipation and wonder. What does he have to say? Who is this teacher? Who is this healer? And as Jesus is teaching, he gets interrupted. Four friends have carried their paralyzed friend to the gathering, but there's no room for them, right? So they make room. There's no room, they make room. They decide we are getting in. They go up on the roof and they rip it off. And lower their friend down to Jesus. They believed so much that Jesus could help their friend that they went above and beyond, literally above and beyond. They went over the crowd to get to Jesus. They interrupt his preaching. The great teacher, this could be Messiah. They interrupt him. Hey, heal our friend. They insert themselves into Jesus' life, into the ministry he's doing. They remove the roof. They dangerously lower this paralyzed man down to the floor. I mean, this this was a feat of immense uh, faith. Now, since I know this came up in discussion, I know more than one of you is logical and worried about this roof uh, in this room. Um, uh, this isn't like major vandalism that's going on here, right? Most historians, most uh, commentators, they, they point out that in this, in this region, what was common for roofs is like wooden beams with uh, you know, reeds and branches and palms like bundled together and over. So you know, th- sort of think of thatched roof, that's what's going on here. So removing the roof is sort of removing a few bundles and repairing it is just putting them back, which is something they would have done seasonally anyway. So, so it's not like these guys are, you know, just destroying the house, right? Um, anyway, so hopefully that doesn't distract you anymore. You can put that aside. The point here, the main point, the thing I want us to see, is these friends, they saw the need their friend had, and they were willing to do whatever it took to get him to Jesus because they believed he could solve that need. He believed, They believed he could heal him to line in life as we seek to live with Jesus may we do likewise for our friends to do whatever it takes to get them to encounter Jesus and we believe that life with Jesus is life that invites others to come and see him come and meet this Jesus just as these friends did for their paralyzed friend they did whatever it took to get him to Jesus Well, the story doesn't stop there. Let's keep reading and see how it continues to unfold. Next, we're going to see Jesus respond to their interruption. And then we're going to see some of the crowd respond to Jesus' interruption. They're not too happy about what he has to say. Let's keep reading. We're going to pick up in verse 5. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And so Jesus stops his sermon. He gets interrupted. He lets himself be interrupted. And he sees the man. He sees the friends. <coughs> he sees their faith. And in response to their faith, the four friends that did the work to get their friend there. He forgives the sins of the paralyzed man. Which, to be honest, has always felt a bit like a curveball to me. This guy, he is clearly unable to move. Jesus can see that. His friends, they've carried him here. They've lowered him down on a mat. They're expecting, they're desiring, they want Jesus to heal his body. To make him well again, to not be paralyzed. They aren't expecting sins to be forgiven. They want healing to take place, physical healing, what Jesus has been doing. Right? That's that's what I would assume. Maybe not so much. Maybe it's not so black and white. For for many of us, sins and health, they're like opposites, right? They're not really overlapping. They're not that connected, right? I confess that's the way I think. Um, Those are separate worlds, not really related. But for your typical Israelite, at this time especially, they're more overlapping. They're not quite so separate. You can reference uh, the story of Job, for example, this, right? All the hardship Job endured, his friends suggest, is because he must have sinned, and he's, this is the consequence of of his sins. right? Or, or even just later in the Gospels, you're gonna, we're going to read that... Uh, the disciples, they encounter a man born blind, and they ask Jesus, Who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind, right? The, his physical situation must be a result of sin, is the assumption, is the cultural assumption. Now, in both of those cases, actually, sin was not the cause of the hardship these people were enduring. So it's not a, it's not a one in one, right? Or a one to one. <clears throat> Jesus corrects that. But the physical and the spiritual, they're not as separate as I might believe or or I might live like. Maybe you can relate to that. For them, they're very overlapped, and I think we would do well to to consider that as well. Let me give you just two real simple examples. God has established very natural consequences in the world, in the created order, for your health. If you choose to drink excessively, which Scripture talks about as a sin, Your liver will fail you, and that will cause major health issues for you, Sin will result in a health outcome. If you choose to be bitter and angry and hold on to that, your life will be stressful. That will consume you. The stress will increase your risk of heart disease, which will cause health issues for you. (laughs) Our actions can relate to our health. So they might be a little bit more connected than I tend to think. Now, these are simple examples, and I'm not saying that our, that our physical situation is a result of our sin. Just pointing out that maybe it's not so silly for them to relate sin and health, the physical and the spiritual. They might be a little bit more interconnected than, than we might realize. And so, it's not so much of a curveball, It's my point. It's not so much of a curveball that Jesus would address the man's sins he'd be talking about forgiving sins as he's presented with a man who needs physical healing. But the key here, the key here in what, how Jesus interacts with him is Jesus saw the faith of the friends and forgave the sins of the paralyzed man. Life with Jesus is life with the one who can forgive sins. Yet faith always precedes forgiveness, just as it did here. Faith in Jesus unlocks forgiveness of sins. Well, as we see, this causes some concerns among the religious leaders present, doesn't it? This is what I like to call the haters-going-to-hate part of the passage, right? (laughs) Maybe I sound really old when I say that. Uh, You'll hear more of those kinds of things. The religious leaders are like, sure, he's healing, maybe he's the Messiah— Maybe he, can, maybe he can do miraculous things, but only God can forgive sins, right? What is going on here? They begin to question Jesus in their hearts, we're told. They doubt him. They wonder, under what authority can this man forgive sins? That's something only God can do. And so, so they conclude, Jesus is blaspheming. He's speaking irreverently about God, making himself God or assuming the roles and responsibilities of God. It's blasphemy. They came there thinking, maybe this is the Messiah. And now they're wondering if they need to pick up stones to stone him for blasphemy. And this begins the tension between Jesus and the religious establishment that will continue on throughout his ministry and will ultimately end in his arrest and execution on the cross. Let's let's keep reading and see how this tension resolves. We pick up in verse 8 here, and we're going to see Jesus respond to these religious leaders. And then we're going to hear the crowd's response. In verse 8, Mark says And immediately Jesus perceived in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves and said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven? Now, these haters, they didn't even have to say anything, right? Jesus knew what was in their hearts. Mark tells us he immediately perceived their doubts, immediately perceived their questions in his spirit, and he addresses it head on. He asks them why they're questioning him, and he proves that they shouldn't be. That he has authority to forgive sins, and it's proven by the fact that he has authority to heal a man's body. The assumption here is is it's easy to say your sins are forgiven, and no one except God knows if that's truly happened, right? But without the power of God, it would be impossible for Jesus to heal this man, this paralyzed man. And so the man stands as proof of Jesus' authority to heal both the spiritual and the physical brokenness in humanity. He literally stands up to prove this. He picks up his bed and he walks out and goes home, proving Jesus' authority in both the spiritual... And the physical. Everyone, everyone in the crowd is amazed. And rather than praise Jesus, they glorify God. Did you catch that? Rather than praise Jesus, they glorify God. Because because Jesus wasn't out for his own earthly glory, he wasn't out to be a mega church pastor, he wasn't out to be the cool preacher everyone liked and, and packed out the house for each week. He perfectly reflected God. And so when the crowd sees the power of God in Jesus, they worship God. They praise God. They give him the glory. Aligning life. As we live with Jesus, we live in such a way that glorifies God, that reflects him and points others to him. That acknowledges his provision in our lives, his kindness in giving us another day to live, another breath to breathe. Life with Jesus is life with God, and worship is the appropriate response. There's an interesting sidebar here. Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. Maybe Maybe you caught that. This is a title he selects for himself, and it's predominantly used in the Gospel of Mark. As he records uh, Jesus' ministry, he highlights that phrase. The crowd, they don't, they don't seem to connect with, with any significance to that meaning at this point. It's most often understood as, as Jesus referring to himself, sort of instead of saying I, he says son of man, you know. I have the authority to forgive sins, right? Son of man just means a human, right? A, a person is sort of the, the, the translation. But later on in the gospel, later on in Jesus' ministry, he's going to attach the presence of holy angels, the coming on the clouds in glory, coming in the clouds of heaven, which are clear references to the prophetic symbol from Daniel chapter 7. Some of you were with us last year when we studied through the book of Daniel. The Son of Man coming on the clouds, the Savior. The, one who will, the God who will reign everlasting over all creation after he slays the evil one once and for all. So initially, the title is kind of innocuous. It just means I, and, and no one catches it. And yet Jesus, he had intention with this title. He knew who he was, and he knew what he was doing. He knew what he was bringing about. He was the son of man Daniel saw in his vision. And he's, he's bringing that forward in his ministry. And it's going to unfold in this gospel as we study it. And so, in our passage this morning, we saw Jesus preaching to a packed house. We saw four friends rip the roof off of that house to get their friend to Jesus so that he could be healed. When Jesus saw their faith, he forgave sins because faith precedes forgiveness. And that caused the religious leaders to question him. Right? They scoffed, who is this? Only God can do such things. Jesus asserts his authority by forgiving sins, his God-given authority. Jesus heals the man physically, proving he can do both. And they all praise God for it. This all took place very early in the ministry of Jesus, as the people are beginning to wrestle with that question of who is Jesus? Who is this guy? Is he the promised Messiah? And while Jesus doesn't directly answer that question, he demonstrates that in fact he is. Indeed, he is the promised one. He is Messiah. He's the promised one Isaiah prophesied about. He is the son of man Daniel saw in his vision of the final judgment and the coming of God's forever reign. When Jesus stepped into creation, God in human flesh, a spirit-empowered reality burst onto the scene Heaven came down to earth. And throughout Jesus' ministry, he will continue to do the things only God can do, proving his power and authority given by the Father. So when we see Jesus forgive sins, we're seeing God forgive sins. And we're seeing a foreshadow of the cross, what is to come when Jesus will lay down his life as the sufficient sacrifice once and for all. When we see Jesus healed through speaking into creation, we see the power of God at work restoring creation, building creation, creating, speaking reality into existence, just as he did in Genesis. When we see Jesus healed through touch, we see the hand of God restoring creation. And when we see Jesus fulfill prophecy, we see God enacting his plan from the beginning, taking on human form, to be with us once again, just like he was in the garden walking with Adam and Eve. And so, a life. Life with Jesus. As we live life with Jesus, it is life with God, the one who can heal us spiritually and physically. And as I confess, I often overlook the physical side. And so I want to strive to pray more for healing of, of people's physical illnesses, of, of my physical illnesses. Pray more for others. I wonder what it is for you. Is it the spiritual or the physical that you need to lean into with life with Jesus? I wonder maybe for you if it's the spiritual, if it might look like living like Jesus has forgiven you. Because if you have faith in Jesus, he has. And there's therefore no condemnation for those of you that are in Christ Jesus. You can live as one who is not guilty of sin. Maybe you're more like me, and it's the physical. And so you can lean into praying for that that relative or that friend that's, that's unwell and needs healing, praying for God to restore them. Whatever it is, whatever it is that you need to lean into this week, we can live in the reality that God has the power to help us, to heal us completely. And so when illness or misfortune or hardship strikes us, we don't have to wrestle with or, or be downtrodden or, or think, who did this to me and why is this happening to me, right? Instead, instead, we can embrace life with Jesus, the one who offers forgiveness, healing, and salvation. We can ask for his presence in our lives and allow it to transform us and transform our reality, just as he did for the paralyzed man. Would you pray with me?